0: Well, turn with me tonight, let's begin in Psalm 18. Psalm 18, you said, oh, I thought we were going to 2 Samuel. We will. <laughs> well, let's start in Psalm 18 tonight, and you'll see why in just a moment. Psalm 18 is a, is a psalm that we briefly looked at about a year ago, and it's a, uh, a psalm that has 50 verses in it, and we split it up into two weeks, and we covered the entire Psalm. Surprisingly, I look back on that now, and I'm like, "Wow, that was silly." There's a whole lot more here that we we could have uh, we could have looked at, but we're going to get a, uh, a chance to, again to do that. But Psalm 18, and we'll look at verses one through six. Also, oh, I'll read those here. It says, "I will." Uh, let, let's look at the uh, at the um, uh, title as well. It says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him out uh, him from the hand of all his enemies, and from the hand of Saul. And he said, and then we go into on verse one. This is this is a psalm that's written later in David's life, and uh, after he's delivered really from his enemies. It says in verse one, "I will love the I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. My buckler, the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compass me, and the floods of the ungodly men made me afraid." The sorrows of hell compassed me about, and the snares of death prevented me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, and cried unto my God, and he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. And this is not, this chapter, as we begin it, uh, this is not the only time that this 50 plus verses appear in the Bible. And so go now to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22 is almost word for word uh, with just a few few changes, a few differences, Psalm 18. And, And so we get to see this once again, the Lord is allowing us to look at this and the way we did it. Several, uh, about a year ago was we looked through it together, we studied it out together, and we looked at it. And tonight, I want to begin, instead of going through it for two weeks, I'd like to take the next several weeks, the next about five weeks, and look at it through a different lens. Just turn the the, the diamond a little bit and look at it from a different facet, a different point of view of who is my God. And you, I've given you a sheet there that you can follow along with us here uh, part 1 of verses 1 through 7. And here in 2 Samuel 22, this passage was written near the end of David's life and is a shining testimony to God's love for David. God gave David that Davidic covenant that, his, that the kingdom was, was going to last forever and that would be obviously accomplished by Jesus Christ. But here, David, as we've seen, throughout the the first uh, first all of first samuel and into second samuel now david is not a perfect man is he not at all david was not always faithful but god was always faithful and true to david and this this chapter here is david's song of deliverance and it reminds us to run to the lord and praise him not only for all that he has done but also for all of who he is I've shared this illustration before, but Oswald Chambers, who is the author of *My Utmost for His Highest*, a very good devotional that you can get your hands on, I'm sure it's also online. But *My Utmost for His Highest*, and Oswald Chambers was a very a preacher, and he would also visit different people. And one one of the the days during his ministry. Uh, both he and his wife had heard of someone who had been deathly ill. In fact, it was a younger lady. And they were very concerned about her. They went to visit her in the hospital. And they came back to the house. And Mrs. Chambers was washing the dishes. And she pondered just what God would do. And she said it out loud at that moment. as, as, As Oswald was shining his shoes in the kitchen there waiting for... Uh, just just talking to the Lord. And, and Mrs. Chambers said, I, I wonder just what God will do. And she was thinking about that young lady on her deathbed. And Chambers said this, Oswald said this. He said, I don't care what God does. He said, I care who God is. And and that opened up for him just a, a, a understanding beyond what God does. And, and I think that's important for us to understand. If we operate our lives based on only what God does, we will live a very confused Christian life. If we operate just based on the things that happen in our life, car accidents, people getting sick, people dying, uh, other things that might happen in our lives, if we just operate on that, we will never know the glory of who God is. And this chapter, as we look through it, I want to go through it slowly because there are a multitude of references to who God is. And as we learn about these together, we will get to know our our God and and who he is. So let's pray as we begin. Father, would you show us tonight just simply through your word, Lord, just not, 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 not in a complicated way, but Lord, would you, as we read your scripture, know your character. And Lord, as we discover your character tonight, uh, would we personally get to know you better and and get to know your love for us and get to know uh, Lord, your, uh, your care for us. And so Lord, I, I pray that as we go through these simple verses tonight, that it would impact our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read now. Second uh, Samuel verses one through seven, and I think you're going to find it's a little familiar. Second Samuel uh, chapter 22 verses one through seven. And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hands of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. Notice, just for a moment, before we move on, how he separates enemies from Saul. Okay, He could have said all of his enemies and been done right there, and we would already conclude that Saul was part of his enemies. But notice how he separates those. What he's trying to make clear is, is that Saul was not his enemy. Saul made David an enemy, and Saul hunted David, but what he wants to make clear is that Saul was not his enemy, that he still forgave Saul even after everything that he did. And so he says it like this, out of the hand of Saul. Verse 2, let's, let's, let's walk through the, the rest of this passage together. And it says, And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge. My Savior, thou savest me from violence. We'll get to all of those things in just a moment. And, and write them down together, but just stay with me. Verse 4, I will call on the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. When the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about, and the snares of death prevented me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, and cried to my God, and He did hear my voice out of His temple. And my cry did enter into his ears. I want to look firstly at the fact that God is my rock. He is my He is literally that the there's two words used for the word rock in verse two. And that's your first blank there. He is my rock. The Hebrew word used there is the word selah, not selah, as in a pause, but selah, which literally means. The, the rock as being the stronghold that keeps me safe, the stronghold of Jehovah himself that we can run into. And so God is our rock. He is, he is every bit enough to be your safety. The second thing that God says he, he is, is uh, David, David mentions that he is my fortress in verse 2. When you think of a fortress, what do you think of? Safety. Something rugged, but safe. Something, I think of the medieval times of knights and castles, and, and you look at a fortress and that is, there's the drawbridge that's going over the trench, and once that drawbridge is up, there's nothing that's going to be able to get to that safe place that is worthy, uh, that, that is protective. So it's a place of strength and of safety. But he's not just the place of safety. He is the, save, the, the Savior. And we'll get to that at the, at the end of this, this. But he is my deliverer, he says. The one who not only is the way of escape, but he makes the way of escape for him. He's the deliverer. And that's, that was key in David's life. In verse three, we see that he's not just the rock, but he is the God of my rock. And you might ask, well, what does that mean? The, the Hebrew word for rock in verse three is, is a different Hebrew word. It's the word to soar, which literally what David is saying is, "God, you are not just my rock that anchors me to the ground." you are also the god of the flat place you are not just my anchor you're the god of everything in other words the, the ground in which i'm anchored to is also owned by you which means it's also a safe place you are the god of my rock you are you are the, my rock and you are the god of my rock you are my strength in that safe anchored place and so it can also be translated strength the god of my strength so, that is, who, that is who David says God is. The next thing in verse 3 that he says is, He is my shield. And shield in battle is a what? what? Is it an offensive or a defensive weapon? It's a defensive weapon. There's, there's nothing that can penetrate God my shield. And then he says... God is the horn of my salvation. I scratched my my head for a long time when I first studied this because I I didn't know what it was referring to. Uh, The horn of my salvation, in verse 3, it it states that as, as a name for God. And if you remember in the Old Testament when... When Joshua and the children of Israel were marching around uh, the, the, the walls of Jericho, they marched around once a day for six days, and then they marched on that seventh day. They marched around uh, seven times, and then what happened? The people shouted, and they, they blew the horns. The people shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. The horn was a picture of victory. That's why it says the horn of our salvation. He is the one who is, who is the Savior and the one who is victory in our life. There's a second picture of the horn in the, in the Old Testament, and does anyone know what that is? Horns of the altar. Yes. So it's, it's almost a dual picture here that we see. Obviously, he is the horn of our salvation. He is that song of victory. But when someone came to the altar, that was the place of redemption, where they were going to make a sacrifice. And on that altar would be four horns. And the the one who was the trespasser would cling to the horns of that altar. As that sacrifice was being made, understanding that that sacrifice, that redemption was for them. So you can see just in this one name for God that he is the horn of my salvation, that he is my victory, and because of his blood, he is my redemption. It is an amazing, this this is who my God is. What is the next name for God given in verse 3? He's my high tower. I absolutely, I don't know about you, but I love castles. <laughs> I, I always have, uh, ever since I was a six-year-old and I was playing with Legos, that was my one of my favorite things to build. And uh, with every good castle, there's a turret uh, or, or those high towers on the side of your castles uh, that you can launch things from and, 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 and In Ireland, I got a chance to tour some of those turrets, those high towers, even the ones that were kind of disintegrating and breaking down, you could still go in and you could see the spiral staircase that went all the way up. And and those were known for being the safest places and, and the easiest to defend because one man could defend it. If he had a big enough shield Anybody who's trying to come up that staircase would have to go through that shield in order to claim uh, the tower And and if you have the high ground you have leverage and so one man could literally defend all four corners of the castle Uh, And so this picture in scripture an old preacher said this he said he said "Uh, me and God make the majority and so, if, if, if one man, is, if God is my high tower, then there is no way that the, the evil one can prevail if I have my Lord, my high tower. He's my sure defense. I don't need any other. That's what this means. The next thing is what does what it it's say who your God is? He's my refuge. He's my shelter in the time of storm. He's the one that I can... Uh, in, in many... Uh, in the Old Testament times, there would be those towers of refuge where if you did not commit a sin, if the, you were accused, you could run to that tower of refuge and you'd be, you'd be safe. And here it's saying, God is my refuge. He's, he's where I can hide. He's where I, I, I will be safe. I love that song, Shelter in the Time of Storm. He's the one that keeps me safe. And last but not least here, what is the the last thing mentioned in verse 3? He's my Savior. I don't don't mention that last because it's the least important, but it's the last that shows up here in our list. He is my Savior. He is the one that provided a way that I could, I could go to heaven. And now David is, obviously, he's, he's mentioning that God had saved him from violence. And even at the end of verse 4, he says he saved him from his enemies. So obviously there's physical violence that, that's happening in David's life. But God has provided a, a Savior for us in Jesus Christ. And that's something that we can praise Him for. If you flip over your sheet, there's some key thoughts that I want us to look at based on on these things. And that's just the first seven verses. Okay, there are a multitude more as we're going to study through 2 Samuel 22 over the next few weeks. Here's some key thoughts that I want us to look at as we go to prayer tonight. Let's read verse 2 again. It says, And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. And I meant this to be under verse 3, but uh, that's besides the point. God is worthy of my trust. That's the first blank there. God is worthy of my trust. and You you can just correct it there on your sheet. It's it's in verse 3, not verse 2. God is worthy of your trust tonight. There is nothing that you can't go in prayer to Him about. There is nothing that He doesn't know. There is nothing that He cannot shelter you from. Think of all the times that David was hiding out in caves and the time that he had to think about God being His rock, His shelter, and. Thankfully tonight, you're not all hiding in caves, but you have things in your life that maybe would love to push you spiritually into depression, into a, into a cave to hide away. God is worthy of your trust tonight. The second thing is uh, in verse 4. So just switch the verses 2 and 3 to verses 3 and 4. That's, that's how they're supposed to be lined up there. Uh, the second thing there is, God is worthy of my call. I will, verse 4, I will call on the Lord. Jeremiah 33:3 says that God always picks up. I, God is always going to answer a call. In fact, I'll, I'll turn there and, and just read that and remind us of that, that passage here tonight. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me, and I will answer thee and shew thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Things that, uh, that's an amazing verse because it's things that you don't even know of yet, things that you haven't even thought of yet. If God is worthy of your call, he wants to show you things that are part of his plan and maybe not part of your plan. Things that 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 His ways are higher above, higher than your ways. God is worthy of your call. Thirdly, there God is worthy of my praise. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my mine enemies. God is worthy of you singing praises to Him. God is worthy of pray you praising Him in prayer. And. Just the example there of Nadine, you, you telling Brandon that we need to praise the Lord this morning for what He did there with the car. That's that's an example of God being worthy of our praise. He, he answered a prayer. We need to praise Him. There's there there is there is absolutely a need for that. He's worthy of it. For us to hold it back, for us to keep our mouths silent, is 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 not worthy of who our God is think about all the different things in verse six and uh, five and six that David mentions that were going wrong he very poetically puts to us he says when the waves of death the floods of ungodly men the sorrows of hell the snares of death and he's not specific Speaking specifically of actually the place of hell, he's saying all of these things are coming crashing down on me. I can still trust my God. I can still call on my God. I can still praise my God. And lastly, in verse 7, he says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. God is worthy of my cry. There's a a little bit of a difference between a call and a cry of distress god's not he doesn't he doesn't pick up the phone as it were just because you're in a good place god wants you to cry to him when you've made a mess of things when when there is a problem god's looking for you to look up god wants you to look up it says that in verse 7 he cried to my uh, he said I, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God, and he did hear my voice out of his temple, and my cry did enter into his ears. I love the picture that he gives us. God obviously is everywhere all at once, but he says he heard my cry out of his temple. Where was the temple? In Jerusalem, right? Where was, now David's writing this at the end of his life after the time of Absalom, but when he was in distress, when he was calling out to the Lord from the caves of Adullam, there running from Absalom, was he close by the temple at all? No, he was 50 plus miles away. And what he's saying there is, Lord, it doesn't matter where you are. You're, you're near to my cry. You're making yourself near to me. You're hearing my cry out of your temple. And my cry did enter into your ears. God is worthy of your cry tonight. If you're, as we looked at in James chapter 5, if you're afflicted, let him pray. If you're merry, let him sing psalms. God is worthy of your praise. God is worthy of your cry in the middle of distress. And we see that here tonight. So as we go to prayer together, can you take these, these four things into, into, into your own life and apply them? That God is worthy of your trust. That God is worthy of you calling on Him. God is worthy of your praise tonight for who He is. And God is worthy of your call. And it would be appropriate as we go to prayer tonight to praise Him for some of these things. That God is your rock, your deliverer, your fortress. And just meditate on these things of who your God is. And I guarantee you, through whatever situation in life you come across, if you focus on who God is, you'll have a better understanding of what He does and not be shaken by the enemy when those trials come into our lives. But we'll trust the Lord.